So good morning, I'm Paul, host of the new PL, and I'm very grateful you've taken the time to join us today. We believe business needs a new PL, one that is as much focused on principles and leadership as it is on profit and loss. Because we know if your principles are right and aligned with your purpose, and your leadership has a clear vision and focus and strength and empathy, then your business will be in profit and not loss in so many ways. Just before we start the conversation today, we would love to have you as part of our official The New PL community. So any listeners that sign up for our newsletter by the end of February will be sent a free digital copy of our first book, published in May this year. The book's titled The New PL: The First 50, and it'll cover the key learnings to come out of our first 50 interviews in 2020, which was the first year of The New PL. So just go to principlesandleadership.com and either fill out the newsletter subscription prompt on the landing page, or scroll down to the bottom of the homepage and fill in your details there. And we look forward to welcoming you into our community. In 2020, global brand consulting and design agency Landor and Fitch conducted a series of interviews with senior executives from some of the world's most exciting, dynamic, and fastest growing unicorn tech companies. They wanted to understand the critical and powerful role culture plays in their business success. The findings were outlined in Landor and Fitch's Culture as Brand, Brand as Culture, How Unicorns Achieved Success Report. So today, in the special The New PL Deep Discussions Roundtable, we bring together the two authors of the report, as well as two of the unicorn brands themselves, to discuss the role culture continues to play in their success. So thank you all very much for joining us today on the New PL Roundtable. I'd like to start with a bit of a round robin introduction. Pauline, perhaps if we can start with you. Sure. So my name is uh, Pauline Bouteille. I lead HR for Jumia. I've been with Jumia for seven years now. Um, and prior to joining Jumia in uh, my HR capacity, I had experience both as a consultant in a management consultancy firm and then as HR in the same firm. Um, and I later uh, took a small venture two years in, in China where I was managing the, uh, the sister uh, location of a, of a French branding and design um, agency and um, a little bit helped me venture into PNL responsibility before I went back to my passion, which is HR. Lovely, thank you very much, Pauline. Nilan. Hi there, yeah, I'm Nilan. I'm uh, VP Growth at Transwise, uh, which means I, I look after our product and marketing and sales teams here. Um, it's about 400 people globally out of our, our team of about 2,500. I've been here for about eight, nine years, uh, so here since the very beginning. And uh, prior to that, I've worked in startups for about uh, five years. And before that, I was a, a consultant uh, working at uh, Anderson Consulting and, and Accenture as well. Thank you. And now the authors of today's report, Imke and Issa. Uh, my name is Imke Schuller. I'm the Global Executive Director for Innovation at Lando & Fitch. Um, I've been with Lando & Fitch for about four years, um, and I am personally very passionate about uh, organizational culture and the role brand plays, and I'm yeah one of the co-authors of the white paper. Mm -hmm. So my name is uh, Isa Khouri. I... Um, Wrote the white paper while at Landor. I was the executive director of culture and engagement at the time. Uh, I'm no longer with Landor, but uh, my background is very much around brand strategy with a focus on how to uh, align the organization 
behind that strategy, behind that purpose. Um, and my passion's always really been about how organizations organize themselves to actually do stuff. Thank you very much. So culture and brand culture is what we're here to talk about today. And culture is both ubiquitous and ambiguous in terms of definition. So I think Imka and Issa, it would be great to start the conversation with understanding how you defined culture for the purposes of this report. And then Nilan and Pauline, I'd like to come on to you in terms of how culture relates to your specific businesses as well. So Imke, perhaps if we can start with you. Yeah, maybe I can say a couple of words about uh, the white paper and why we decided to conduct this mm -hmm. um, study. I mean, we know that business leaders have always really struggled to effectively build and evolve their organizational cultures. And we really wanted to demystify what culture means. And we wanted to make it more accessible and more tangible as well. And uh, Isa and I were, were joking because you very often hear leaders say, oh, you know, we have to act more like a startup. And we would say, no, actually, you don't because 90% of startups fail and we would recommend you act more like a unicorn. So that's how we got the idea for the study um, because we really wanted to understand how organizations that are digital first and in rapid growth address the topic of culture. And we in particular wanted to understand um, how culture is created and how culture is perceived because what we often see in in mature organizations is that there is a chasm between yes. uh, culture creation and culture perception so isa if you maybe want to uh, to add on to that what how we defined culture for the paper yeah i think the challenge you know when we talk about demystifying culture um leaders businesses intuitively have an understanding of what it is but without any sort of clarity of definition it's difficult to sort of pin down and do things that will significantly shift the way an organization um, lives its culture if you will um, you know oftentimes when you speak to leaders they say it's the way things are done around here which is a very ambiguous phrase it's accurate but it's ambiguous so what do we change? What are the levers we need to pull within the organization to shift this culture? So, you know, from our perspective, um, culture is about how you shift the way an organization thinks, acts, and behaves, right? So there's sort of three components to try and make it a bit more tangible. One is around the mindset of the organization, which has to do with, you know, all the business strategy, the brand strategy, um, one part is around the operational practices of an organization. So this goes beyond just putting words and values on posters, you know, uh, and paste it around, you know, on walls or around the office. It's about how do we start using um, the mindset that we're trying to create to dictate how we work as an organization, right? And then you have um, activities around behaviors or rituals that you do to help people actually bond, you know, on a personal level, on an emotional level. So by trying to break it down like that, we were hoping to make it a little bit more tangible for established businesses to try and learn from Unicorn to say, oh, okay, well, we need to figure out how to connect the dots between, you know, these various components. Yeah. And Pauline, from your perspective, uh, Jamia, how is, how is culture defined? Because you have a pan-African business with a global reach how are you defining culture as an organization i i i think i would say exactly what isa has said in the sense that for us it's the way we think the way we decide 
um, the way we do. Um, and um, um, and so you know, and that's very immaterial. So so the the material incarnation of uh, of of our culture obviously relates to something written, and what is written is our values. So so the closest embodiment of of our culture, I believe, is our values. And then the question is, what do we do with it? Um, and what we do with it is, you know, we use our values when we hire. Um, so that's how we make sure that we. Um, you know that 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 we embody from the start um, our culture, or that we measure what we what we want to hire. Um, our values also define what we call our our skill set. So so we do performance reviews on a regular basis, and because we believe that we are venturing in a field where experience does not exist as much as it would in other areas of this world. So you would not find people who have fifteen years of e-commerce experience in Africa. You, know, you would find that in FMCG and marketing, but you wouldn't in, in e-commerce. And um, what we, you know, the experience that we are building um, or the expertise that people have is the one that they build on a daily basis. Um, and that experience is acquired and it's acquired because we know what we are growing and it's the junior skill set. So, so, you know, it starts with values, but then we hire against them, we grow against them um, and we measure behaviors uh, against them ultimately. Yes. And Nilan, from your perspective, in terms of a business that is scaling at such pace on a global basis, how are you defining culture and what role is it playing for you in that, in that scale? Hey, Paul. Uh, thanks for the question. Uh, so uh, I've learned to define culture um, as whatever helps us move forward fastest in achieving our mission. Mm -hmm. And uh, we keep it as ambiguous or specific is that otherwise uh, uh, I'll go on through this discussion to try to elaborate what that means in practice and how we use it uh, because otherwise it becomes very hard as you're growing and you're changing to figure out what's really important is it really important you've got a table tennis table in the corner of the room is it is it important that you're highly empowered is it really important that uh, you may have autocratic decision making at times at the end of the day, it's whatever helps us move forward fastest with achieving the our ambition and the aim of the, of the business, which we call our mission. And we should, uh, and the culture should be whatever whatever helps us get there. Neilan, you touched on autocratic decision making, and that's a key point that comes out of the report as well. Um, it states culture starts from the top, and to paraphrase, it is autocratic in its direction, democratic in its execution. In some ways, that seems a little counterintuitive because to you know, few organizations succeed if they don't win the hearts and the minds of the audience they're working with. So I wanted to understand, I guess, the nuance behind that. How, where is the line between autocratic decision-making and democratic execution? How do we strike that balance in a, in a business? Imke, perhaps if we can start with you having spoken to a number of unicorns across uh, across various industries for this report? Yes, so as part of that study, as I said earlier, we looked at what we would call the culture creator, so the management or the founder perspective to understand how culture is actually created and scaled and whether that happened intentionally. And as Nilan said, how well it aligns with the business ambition. And then from an employee experience, how do they actually perceive the culture and who drives and develops it? And so when you talk about the autocratic uh, aspect of it, 
it's about the leadership team that sets the strategic intent for mm -hmm. the culture, but then it's a democratic exercise um, and every employee is actually in charge of making sure that this culture lives in the organization. But the strategic intent can only be set by the leadership team because it has to be aligned with the business ambition, as Nilan said. And Pauline, how is that, um, that balance struck at Jamia? How, how do you empower your employees to, to embrace that strategic decision, that strategic vision for the business and deliver it on a daily basis? I, so I, I think on, you know, the, the, the one thing on which I would potentially disagree is saying um, it's decided, you know, it's autocratic in its decision. I don't, you know, I don't believe you decide Exante, um, a culture. I think it is, you know, it's it, it comes from the top. So I would say it's role modeled from the top, um, and then it needs to be adopted. So so you know the democracy is it needs to be adopted and embodied um, by everyone. But but you know I I, um, I yeah I, I think uh, for sure what we have uh, what I mean, we have a chance in uh, young startups or in unicorns that we're talking about we have had the chance to actually write what we wanted to embody and what we you know how we wanted to define our culture, which mm -hmm. is something which I think bigger organization or older organizations have not had in terms of opportunity. They've had the opportunity to revisit or to change or to update. And so it creates a little bit more, a little more artificial gap and lots of a natural thinking. Yes. Um, but that doesn't mean that you decide everything, right? So I think it's, for me, it's really about role modeling at the top um, and adopting um, within the entire organization. Yes, yes, I understand and, the distinction there. Issa, um, the report also cites the Deloitte Review Report becoming irresistible, a new model for employee engagement. And that report found that companies that actively manage their culture have a 30% higher level of innovation, 40% higher level of retention. Um, I wanted to start with you by sort of understanding what you feel constitutes active management in a business when it comes to culture. I think Pauline touched on this, you know, it's for starters, um, the leadership has to role model the behavior they, they want within an organization, right? Mm -hmm. So um, when you're talking about, um, you can't put words up uh, on posters. You can't tell people these are the sort of values we want. If the leadership team, you know, if there's a set of standards for leadership and a different set of standards for the organization, right? Mm -hmm. So to get that level of, um, commitment from within the organization, the first step is that leaders have to lead by example, right? Um, in terms of actively managing, it's about giving the organization space and room to figure out how to work within this framework, right? So when we talk about autocratic in, in direction, it's not to dictate every single aspect of how people should behave, right? But it's about giving people a framework within which they can work but then you have to allow the organization the space to figure out how to make it work, right? Um, actively managing it also requires how do you align the different parts of the organization to facilitate the culture, right? If your values are saying one thing, but your KPIs and how you're rewarding people are based on something else, then you've got a big mismatch within the organization. You know, I'll, I'll give you an example of, um, 
an old client of mine many years ago was a telco um, and we were working with them um, on, a, on a massive employee engagement program. And after eight months, the HR um, director that we were dealing with was thrilled because they got brand included on the balance scorecard. All right, accomplishment from that, from that perspective. However, the weighting of brand on the balance scorecard meant that you could have executives within the organization completely fail on every aspect of the brand and still get their annual bonus because they hit their financial targets. Right. So I don't have the answer for it, but you've got to balance things within the organization to allow to allow the culture to, to, to flourish. And, you know, you've got to nurture it rather than just say, pay it lip service and say, let the world know we're agile, but actually we're super bureaucratic and, you know, everything has to be escalated up and we don't empower anyone. And Nilan, from a practical perspective, how does the executive team at TransferWise, how do they lead by example? How do they role model that delivery in terms of active management and commitment to the culture? What are the principles that define that active management? So, yeah, that's a good question. Um, so I, I think we'd like to say we don't do much, uh, which probably means we're, we're doing a lot without, without, without realizing it. So let me just uh, roll, roll back a bit and, and talk through, um, I, I kind of, completely concur that um, leadership needs to be strongly opinionated on what uh, what's in and what's out in terms of culture and then there are uh, there are cues that uh, the organization will take from how leadership behave and uh, so I'll, I'll just elaborate a little bit more on how we how we work and then and then the role of uh, how leadership actively manage will become clearer so uh, I think about the company as a mission-driven startup uh, and our mission is to make the world's money move uh, for almost nothing uh, instantly. And that's, uh, that's the purpose of the company. And, and we think in solving that problem, we'll build a very valuable business. So that, that's really clear. That, that's the start of every blog post. That's the start of every tweet the founder says out, sends out. That's the start of our annual report. Uh, when we open our investor presentations, we, we talk through that as well. So the mission runs through everything. The second question is like, what's your what's your strategy to get there? Um, and our strategy is customer led. So we believe by solving problems really well for our customers, they'll talk about us and we'll grow faster. And again, we're extremely opinionated on uh, on being customer led in uh, in our strategy as opposed to I don't know a marketing led or uh, financing led. And so we're going to go and raise more money than everyone else. And as a consequence and spend it on marketing and people are going to use us. So that I'm pretty strongly opinionated on that. And then the third part is around culture. What's left is, uh, how we operate and that should be whatever helps us move forward fastest in, in these two aims. Mm -hmm. So in coming back to your questions now, I've set up the context, um, in terms of how we actively manage that, that may be in terms of, um, like, rewarding or amplifying people that are, are being customer-led inside the organization, taking customers and bringing them into the heart of the organization and, and demonstrating that they're being used to drive decision-making, um, prioritizing ruthlessly uh, by impact on customers and making sure that that's seen throughout the organization. When people aren't doing that, uh, picking up and challenging and asking why, uh, but really just making sure that these principles are, are held. In terms of what people do on a day-to-day -day basis at a very specific level, that, that's definitely left left the team. But leadership's definitely opinionated on this 
the why, the mission, the, the how, the customer-led strategy, and then the what, the culture in terms of how we how we operate. And I guess creating a, a customer-led culture requires internally requires collaboration and consistency across the organization and and a key to a consistent collaborative culture is personal relationships and understanding the nuances of words and body language and everything from being face to face and having that that intimacy if you like that that human touch and face to face uh, engagement we've spent nearly 12 months now where we're largely working from home um, all businesses i'd like to get the panel's view on what effect that has had, or you feel that may have had, or what what effect it's had, but also what you've done to try and mitigate the the more remote environment that we find ourselves in as business people, and the effect that that has had on our culture. Um, Pauline, perhaps if we start with you again on that. Um. So so. Um. Just to to go back to active management, I think the most active levers you have are hiring mm -hmm. and, and and promoting in the sense that this is you know what the, these are the moments when you decide uh, whether or not there is a adhesion um with what you have to offer um in that sense and if i you know if i look back at the last 12 months um i want to say there's not that much that has changed um because because you know we we, we hired and we promoted um mm -hmm. based on the same principles um Maybe, you know, maybe what's so, and I will go from same, same to same, same, but different. And the things that we have done, I think we've done more of what we were doing, right? So, so, you know, to make sure that we could mitigate the fact we were not spending so much time together, we've had more town halls, we've had more frequent um, interactions, we've had more, um, uh, we spent a lot of time on certain categories of populations at Jumia and, and specifically the people that we call our Jumia heroes. Who are also the embodiment um, of our culture. So, so I think, um, you know, I think in some ways there's not that much that has changed. Um, in other ways, I think we've, you know, it was it was a question of the dozer um, that, and the cursor that we placed. Yeah. So, do you think the the conversation around the impact of remote working on company culture has been a bit overplayed? So. As Pauline's just described, those companies with great cultures find more creative, innovative ways to continue that great culture in a remote environment. Those companies with cultures that have broken down, it only accentuates it. So it was heading that way anyway, and, and the remote working environment has only accentuated it. Do you feel that the whole argument is really a bit overplayed and actually the good cultures will be those who stick together regardless of the circumstance? Um, I'm not sure it's overplayed, but, you know, necessity is the mother of invention, right? So uh, necessity forces you to work in different ways. Um, and as humans, we're very resilient, right? So we figure out how to make it work as we go along. I think that the challenge is the personal contact, right? Because there's so much... Um, value in being able to connect with people, speak with people, you know, interact um, in a real environment, um, be able to read people's body language, you know, uh, all of that stuff I think is, is super important. But um, I think the companies that had 
a weak culture, we're probably forced to figure out how to strengthen things, right? I think mm -hmm. it, this brought it to the forefront, um, but I can't really comment on, on how well companies have done. I don't, I don't think it's business as usual. Um, I think it's been business as unusual for most people, right? But um, the remote working has forced, you know, as Pauline was saying, they do more town halls, more meetings, there's more communication. They recognize the need to make sure that people are always on board and connected and engaged. Um, I'd be interested to see what happens afterwards when we do go back to some sort of hybrid working environment, but we still maintain all of that sort of communication and transparency that we're starting to see within organizations. Yes. And Imke, your view from the conversations you're having with clients at Landor and Finch? Yeah, I think what Pauline says is very interesting because we would say that um, a pandemic like we've seen last year is almost like a pressure gauge on culture and it brings out the best and the worst out of cultures but in organizations like Jumia and TransferWise who are rapidly growing who are digital first anyways they are I would argue almost always in crisis mode they are used to adapting quickly they're used to changing their way of operating to adapt to new situations so in a way I'm not surprised that Pauline says it's almost business as usual we just do more of the good things we used to do and so it does actually reinforce the positive aspects of culture. It, it makes them bubble to the surface and it probably also forces the bad behaviors to disappear. So you would probably not see it to the same degree in more mature organizations because for them, this crisis moment is new and it is business as unusual. And that's again, why we say we can learn so much from the way unicorns operate because they are much better set up to deal with this. Um, and they're also operating in a much more decentralized way. So therefore are able to, to adapt and react much quicker. Mm. Nilan, as a digitally led business, as Imka just uh, referred to, you were scaling quickly anyway. The last 12 months has probably seen a lift in that as banks and other physical assets haven't, haven't been open. And uh, there's been a, a broader opportunity, I guess, for you in the market. How have you managed the keeping that cohesive culture together when you do scale rapidly, whether it's over the last 12 months or before, how do you maintain consistent culture at, at speed? Uh, great question. Um, so I talked through a little bit about what changed for the, the business during the pandemic and then what, uh, what, what adjustments have we made, if any. So um, um, thankfully our, uh, our market still existed. So people people still need to send money internationally uh, during a pandemic. Surprisingly, when they're worried, uh, people people send, tend to send more. So as we entered lockdowns, we saw very big spikes in volume. So our, our challenge, so un, unlike a lot of industries where demand disappeared, we had demand. So then the, the challenge was, could we, could we service it and keep up with it? Uh, so we had issues with our, our team needs to transition to being remote to support our customers and our partners uh, being banks needed to transition to being remote. And there was definitely at, at the beginning of uh, the period uh, teething crumbles as we transitioned, but uh, on the partner side, and on the team side, but we more or less hit our, our SLAs and we, we managed to continue operating and, and keeping up with, uh, with the growth. So that then left us with just so what's uh, what's different in the new normal? So as you kind of said, alluded to, I, I think I've, we've picked up on two differences. One is the lack of face-to-face -face interaction. And I, 
and I think I, I break that down to two things. One is uh, people get really tired of spending all day on Zoom calls. I think we, we all know that and realize that. So that's that was one, one thing we need to fix. And the second is uh, we work in teams and teams collaborate really well face to face. And it is it's as much as it's the unspoken, uh, the body language that you're missing out on, it's also just the ease with which you can uh, collaborate around the whiteboard or around the computer screen. So these uh, these made it much more inefficient actually to work and, and much more tiring. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I guess the one one fix I'll I'll talk to maybe is is where we ended up in terms of our, our remote remote working model. Uh, so there's a bit of a push with kind of Silicon Valley tech companies to go 100% remote and to tell the teams we'd go 100% remote. But we chatted to our, uh, our our team employee base. There's only about 10 to 20%, 20% say that wanted to go fully remote. But we also realized back to culture, helping us move forward fast, whatever helped us move forward faster, that if we if we had the ability to work face to face at some point in the future, that would uh, that should help us move forward faster. So we ended up with a hybrid remote model, which means uh, anyone at Transferwise can work from anywhere in the world, uh, three months of the year, which is uh, extremely challenging at times for HR team to make happen, but they they do. Uh, it's not not easy to support that, and nine months from their from their home office and. Uh, that's worked really well as we've uh, we're a global business with uh, teams in Singapore where it's almost normal and teams in London where we're all, all working from home. Um, that's enabled people to work from different locations uh, around the world through this through this challenging period and maintain some level of productivity. And Imkaranisa, were there any other common characteristics that you saw when speaking to the other unicorns that you uh, interviewed for this report in terms of what characteristics define holding a consistent, positive culture together at speed of scale? Imka, maybe if we start with you. I think one of the commonalities we saw apart from leadership being there to lead by example really is a more decentralized approach to working. So you could almost see Dan Ping's idea of autonomy, mastery and purpose um, really represented in those organizations. They tended to give their people a lot more power uh, for decision-making on the front line. Mm -hmm. Um, And therefore, uh, almost setting themselves up for a fully remote working environment anyways. Um, So I think that has really helped them navigate the crisis better. Um, And I think also because you have a strong sense of belonging in a purpose-led organizations, like all of these unicorns we interviewed um, actually are, to make sure that people actually know what they're supposed to do. They understand the why, as Nilan said. And so therefore it is not very difficult for them to operate in different circumstances because everyone knows exactly what the ambition is, what they're setting out to do and how they're going to achieve it. So, and, and again, that's one of the big differences we see to more mature, more established organizations where that usually isn't the case. And there's a big uh, concern around, um, you know, the employee workforce understanding why they're doing certain things, how they should um, operate. 
um, and therefore it makes it much more difficult for these organizations. And, you know, Nilan, you mentioned your partners actually struggling, struggling with that process a lot more because they were probably not set up in a way culturally to enable this, uh, this transition into a different work environment. Anissa, from your perspective? No, I think uh, Emke nailed it, you know, that decentralized approach, I think, mm. um, was fundamental to the success of all the unicorns. Um, I think what impressed me is that there's, you know, a human aspect of it is that by decentralizing, you're actually empowering people to make decisions on behalf of the company, right? And that sense of involvement and empowerment yeah. Um, speaks volumes, you know, somebody who feels appreciated will do a hell of a lot more than what is required of them because they're actually in it. And I think, you know, there's, there's a lot of unspoken hidden benefits of having such a type of, of culture. Yeah. So one of the, I guess, the great characteristics or virtues of a, of a good culture is it's not always obvious when times are good. It sits and just underpins the business but it comes to the fore when times are challenging and there's a need to bring people together for whatever reason. Pauline, it would be great to understand from Jamia's perspective, you know, in some of the challenging times that perhaps the brand has been through, how does culture in your business act as a, almost a motivational antidote to those things that, um, that are forcing change or challenge across the business? How do you balance motivation and inspiration through culture to offset some of those challenges? Um, I think it's the notion of purpose. And, you know, in, in, in good or bad times, what holds it together is the purpose. And uh, when, when times have become the most difficult, um, and we've had I mean, eight years, we've had many times, so it's not just last year, but um, our CEOs, we always repeat the same thing, is, to, is we do best what we know how to do best so you know the only thing that we have to look at is how do we do even better at what we're already doing good um, and that's the reply for for everything and you know and that leads into the second comment so, so you know continue to do what you know how to do best is probably a sentence that we've heard a lot um, and it's usually signed off with the best is yet to come um, and so far it's proven to be true so so you know it helps a lot Nilan is a significant focus in the report um, on the importance of vision and charisma of the leader, often a founder, and you've cited your founder a couple of times in, in recent um, answers. Um, they play a fundamental role in creating that culture and driving that culture and keeping the vision at the forefront of that business. What happens to a culture when that founder or a CEO leaves? And how, what are your views about how someone can hold on to the best elements of that vision and culture that the CEO has created, but also build on the essence of their culture with a new CEO? Yeah, it's a good, good question. So um, I'm slightly wary um, when, when people and companies describe their culture or their values, when you listen really carefully, they're describing the CEO's personality. <laughs> like a CEO is like, a, I don't know, really, really aggressive or very commercial or fast to action. And when you, when you take a step back, you realize you're just, just describing the CEO and saying everyone, everyone should just be, be a bit more like, like, like the CEO and we'd, we'd all be fab. Um, so we've, uh, 
So try not to do that. Um, so we should talk a bit about values a little. So we uh, values are one way to do this. It's try to to write down words that describe the behaviors you're seeing uh, that that you believe if you encourage and reinforce will will help help us move forward faster. And in in my mind, uh, these are really just uh, come down to those two things. One is that. We prioritize behind our customers' needs and we do whatever is needed to help us move forward fastest towards achieving the mission. And with these with these two things, uh, most things can get resolved with these principles. Now, the question around the CEO leaving is whether uh, the company is still strong enough to operate to those precepts mm -hmm. and manage the shareholders, I guess, through that journey of being mission-led create shareholder value, being customer-led, create shareholder value, having a culture that enables us to move forward faster is probably the best way of getting there. And the CEO is obviously able to articulate that as he's you know, appointed by the board uh, to, to run the company. And uh, uh, obviously uh, our, our CEO has done an, an okay job at, at uh, explaining that to shareholders and that's how we've managed to operate to the stage we are. But I, I'd hope that there is a bunch of leaders within the organization that could that could take on the mantle or uh, even more i hope the organization is strong enough to keep going in this direction this whoever the leader is and uh that's that's how i think about uh, your question on culture living on beyond the ceo what's interesting i think and part about your answer is a lot of businesses do rest their values on the, on the characteristics of their ceos there's also other brands that feels like and sometimes it's documented that they take their values on the basis of what they feel they should be rather than what they genuinely are so they might choose integrity for example because it's seen as a, a good value but then they fail to live up to it because it's a what i call a loud value it's a value on a wall but not a value in the in the hearts and minds if you like what's the effect over the medium term of a business that has those external values but not an internal imprint of those values in the employees and how do how do brands turn that around how do they rediscover the the authenticity of their values Issa, perhaps if we start with you on that that's a, a great question because especially for established businesses i think a lot of big companies out there pay lip service to values but they don't practice what they preach right um, in my mind, if you're trying to shift that, it all starts with the leadership, right? Again, it's, it's down to leading by example. So if you have a committed leadership team that actually wants to shift the way that an organization works, it's got to start there, right? Mm -hmm. um, I think one of the challenges in doing so as well is being brutally honest about what you're good at and what you're not good at. Oftentimes, organizations want to play up the good and completely play down the bad. But when it comes to culture, you need to be looking at everything quite objectively, you know, to figure out what needs to change and why, right? Um, so. Imke, would you like to add to that from the conversations you have with clients as well? Yeah, I think what we've seen is that uh, what you described, these external values that aren't lived internally are the hallmarks of a relatively weak culture and a, a big difference between the strategic intent the leadership may uh, initially have had and the employee reality, the employee experience. 
Um, so it is incredibly important that the, the values or the behaviors, the mindsets actually permeate the employee experience. And that also mitigate, that mitigates the risks that Nilan mentioned uh, earlier about you know, the founder playing an important role, the founder personality. If a culture is strong enough, it will be able to survive if the, the, the CEO or the founder leaves the organization because the culture is stable enough um, and everyone has understood the values, the underlying principles and can act on them. Culture can't just exist as grand gestures and, uh, and big visions. It's got to, it relies and, and rests on the, the little ways we address each other and deal with each other every day and the way we quietly and gently embed culture into an organization on a daily basis. Pauline, from your perspective, how is that displayed at Jamia? How do you how do you achieve the little gestures every day within the business that subtly but importantly reinforce your culture? Um, as I was saying, I think uh, you know the, the, the main moments um, around which we we manage, and, and they are big moments, um, are, are hiring and and. Um, um, and 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 growing. Um, be, beyond that, you know what what we try to make sure we do is that we dedicate time um, and we reflect on our values um, as a group. So so you know we have we've had days in the year dedicated to just being in group and, and thinking about our values. So taking a value picking. I mean there's a different program each time. But that's how important it is to us and we're willing to say the entire company for a day or half a day is going to not work and it's going to reflect on our values and um, i was talking to you a bit earlier on of our town halls and yes. um, we have so every second week we have it used to be every month now it's every second week with uh, with the pandemic um our ceos is, are going to talk for half an hour and very recently we had a moment where he read the value he reread it so it's um and we just reflected on what it meant. And I think, uh, you know, at some point it's about making sure that it drives our everyday, it was around execution and the way we executed and, and you know, the notion of ownership, speed and and, um, and 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 quality of the execution. And so we just spent half an hour with the 4,000 uh, people that we have in the group thinking about what does it mean execution? Yeah. And I guess part of delivering a vision is the hope and the belief and the aspiration that those you are delivering that vision to that underpins the culture is also clearly understood by the recipient and, and every individual listens to the the words or the the proposition or the vision of a founder or CEO or senior exec team and they interpret it according to their own relative perspective and their own subjectivity and sometimes senior execs make assumptions that that vision is understood but there's a breakdown in that understanding between the delivery and the recipient. How do you ensure within your businesses, and Neelan, perhaps if we can start with you, that the sincerity of the delivery is also understood completely by the recipient? Well, that's a that's a hard one. Um, well, I I can talk to a, a simpler a simpler version of that question, which would be. Uh, how do we how do we ensure that the delivery's been done well? So let's, let's take a step back. So I, I haven't talked much around what are the the ceremonies we do to reinforce culture uh, in transfers. 
and yet much like as Pauline said the 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 first big gate is who you let into the building so hiring is obviously a big a big determinant I think we hired about uh, 400 people uh, during lockdown who haven't who haven't met anyone physically and still all still working from home um so you, hiring is important onboarding is important and then we had these uh, two call them ceremonies um that worked really well uh pre pre-lockdown mm -hmm. which were summer days where we got the whole company together and then mission days which was an all-company conference that happened twice a year that, that i organized so i'll come to that because that that's really how we deliver the message uh to people and then we, we test to see whether that message has been received so the the objective of this company conference is uh is three things one is um to remind people this this mission is worth doing so it's a it's a good use of time. It's probably a good use of your time to work on trying to solve this this problem of uh, expensive cross-border money transfers. And we use customers to inspire the team on like what a difference it would make to their life. Two is um, that it's really hard, so it's not going to happen without without some effort. And three that we're making progress. Yep. So we pull together content around that and we share that with the team, and then we actually quite a clinically check uh, interview people beforehand and interview people afterwards and like measure on a scale like do they think this mission thing is worthwhile or not uh do they think it's actually going to be achieved within say 10 years or not and then we look at it before and we look at it afterwards and the really around the quality of the content is based on whether we manage to move people's inspire people around around this and they, they and there's this feeling you get a uh, poster and it happened just last week where the organization feels really pumped up to try to achieve this goal and feels like it's come together behind this. Um, and we try to get pretty analytical on what is it that we, we show to people, communicated to our team, how that, that enabled that feeling uh, to happen. And that's part of the magic, I think, of how you um, empower people to give them all the information they need in order to be able to execute uh, uh, within their own domain. Yeah. And Imka, from a brand culture perspective, I mean, you're working with multiple businesses to try and bring more cohesive, compelling cultures to their to their organizations. What are the common roadblocks that you find in trying to deliver that in terms of the misunderstanding between vision and adoption? Yeah, I think making culture a reality, making the evolution of culture a reality is the biggest uh, roadblock we often face. So there's often a desire to to um, to change the in terms of the strategic intent, but then how you actually bring that to life, as Nilan described it, is often very difficult. And we know very well that just having values written on posters in the hallways is not going to cut it. You know, we need to look at communication and as Pauline said communication has to be has to happen very frequently to create a sense of belonging to share with everyone why they're in it and what they're trying to achieve mm -hmm. the leadership team has to be very open and honest so trust and transparency in in bringing that culture to life and communicating that is important there has to be a consistent way of working which has to be infused with that evolved culture or the changes you want to see and then lastly, you know, what kinds of behaviors, what kinds of mindsets do you want to reward and incentivize? Mm -hmm. And those are 
relatively tangible areas that you can look at when trying to move the culture of the PowerPoint slide and into the organizational reality and making sure that it really infuses the entire employee experience from recruitment to onboarding to actually being a, a valuable member of the team. Yeah. I wanted to ask a slightly more- May I add to that? Oh, sorry, so you go. If you don't mind, if I, if I could just add to that. I think there's, you know, with the unicorns, the advantage they had is that they were able to set the intention for culture from day one, right? Yeah. So you set the intention, then you're building on that as you move forward. With established organizations, a lot of stuff has happened over the years. So there's a lot of baggage that you need to try and get rid of. And I think one of the biggest challenges in shifting an organization within an established organization um, is a time frame, right? Shifting culture is not a quick fix. Mm-hmm. And yet most organizations are just looking, let's look at the quarterly results, you know, very short-term focus. And, you know, if you do want to shift culture, it requires a bit of a longer time frame, which doesn't always uh, mesh well with, with the way that larger organizations tend to operate. So how do you strike those milestones when you do, because you're, you're absolutely right, when you do have those competing interests, you have shareholders and boards of directors on one side that expect, demand, require, need a certain level of growth to, to expand their company, to maintain aspiration and desire. On the other side, you've got culture that is like an old ship that sometimes takes a very long time to, to turn and to move. How do you how do you set the milestones and what milestones can you set to ensure that expectations are met on both sides? The culture can move forward, but the commercial ambition is also either met or the expectations are moderated. Yes, sir, if we can come back to you first, yeah. I think the other challenge for larger organizations is they try to bite off more than they can chew, right? Mm-hmm. So they want to change a lot of things all at the same time, which makes it a very risky exercise and a very costly exercise. So I think my advice to organizations like that is start small, Mm -hmm. learn how to develop new habits and behaviors, learn how to learn new habits and behaviors. And as you start learning that, you can start scaling within the organization. It starts to take on a natural growth cycle right Um, but if you try to do too much at once people get confused and it creates a lot of um, turbulence within the organization people feel very unsettled uh, and you tend to get a lot of passive aggressiveness by not participating in this change because it's just too much hassle right so um, start slow learn how to learn and then scale as you become uh, more proficient with time but Another aspect of it, again, comes back to leadership. And a great example is, you know, Paul Pullman at Unilever, who came into a very well-established organization and shifted the focus. Um, They still had to answer to shareholders, but at one point he was like, I'm not doing these quarterly meetings because it's a waste of time. I'll do it once a year. So he still had his accountants and financial people doing those meetings, but his focus was on how do we shift the the focus of the organization towards a more sustainability-led mindset, right? So again, without the right leadership, it's going to be very difficult to, to shift any culture. Yeah. Yes, okay. 
I think the biggest challenge large organizations have is that they leave it too long until they course correct. And that's one of the biggest differences we saw with unicorns. Yes. And Nilan described it very well earlier in this, um, this conversation. Unicorns tend to look at the business ambition and then make sure that the culture gets them there. And they continuously adapt to make sure that they reach their ambition, whatever gets us there faster, as, as you said, Nilan. And that's what, what established large organization, organizations usually don't do. So they wait years and years and years until it's very difficult to make any big cultural changes. And it also means that the cultural changes have to be very big, very significant. There's no course correction uh, every one or two years, which I think is the biggest challenge they're facing. So Pauline, if, if there's a CEO, a business leader listening to this podcast now, and they know they have a feeling within their business that the culture is failing or it's toxic or perhaps even pedestrian or uninspiring, what advice would you give them in terms of how they, I guess, start to turn this around? Because the minute you start that process, you you set expectations, some of what some of which are going to be inevitably unrealistic. But how do you start the process of turning a culture around without letting the expectations run away? Best question. <laughs> Tough one. Um, I you know. Um, As I said, I think the most active moments of, of management of a culture are around uh, you know, these key moments. And I think those are where you need to, to, to focus. Um, um, I, you know, back to the notion of, of scale and uh, uh, rapid growth. Um, I think you, you, you know, scaling is all about delegating. And so once you've understood that you have, you know, that you are going to delegate this decision-making uh, who you're going to hire, how you're going to grow, who you're going to promote, what you're going to do. And then it's all about, you know, how do I organize uh, this delegation? And you need to have a spine to organize this delegation. And that is what culture will do to you. And hence, you know, having understood how this works, um, I think is, is, is the first part of, of the transformation. Yeah. Just one final question, and it would be great to get um, everyone's view on this. I wanted to ask a slightly more philosophical question, I guess. I did a lot of reading around the, the topic of culture for this, um, for this round table. There's a school of thought out there that suggests that culture, although it's always existed within organizations, has become far more prominent in the public discourse and conversation because we have lost some of our social ties outside of work. Communities have broken down, whether it's, you know, local communities or groups we used to belong to or our generations before used to. So we've come to rely on work culture far more than perhaps we, we ever did, the friendships and the relationships that we make at work. I'd love to get the panel's view on whether they believe that or why, they, why, they, why you believe culture is so important in today's organization. Neelan, perhaps if we can start with you. Great question. Um, so I I try not to, uh, it's hard to respond to the question philosophically, like in some kind of, uh, have some, have some uh, insight into the human condition and how it's evolving in the, in the current day to day. I'm not sure I have that. Um, I do agree though, um, in interviews, it comes up a lot. Uh, so 
uh, and especially at the senior levels more and more and very explicitly. So very explicitly at the beginning of the process, we find candidates really want to understand our culture and through the process, they want to validate it. Mm -hmm. And um, at the why, just to focus on that, um, why they're doing this, I think it's a, a little bit around our context. So we're a, we're a product company where we're, we're building a product for customers and uh, product leaders, whatever level in they may be, or tech, tech engineering leaders, whether they're um, an individual contributor leading a team or a director for a, a, a group of 100 engineers and 100, 100 product managers, they get that they need to work in a highly empowered environment. Mm -hmm. So really when, when they're saying culture, they're trying to, uh, what they're trying to flush out is, am I, am I empowered to, to do my best work here? How does the organization support me in doing that? Is it really a customer led organization? Am I going to be slowed down by, by other things? So I think increasingly uh, product technology organizations and, and others recognize that this, this mode of working highly empowered, uh, autonomous teams almost um, uh, is, is a very agile way to help to help companies grow and they're trying to and and definitely I see um, candidates prospective hires really interested in understanding how does that work in practice is it just a bunch of buzzwords in blog posts or is it is it really true so um, I, I agree I've heard people talk about it and I think it, it's more around uh, uh, I think people understand that they could have more of an impact faster and the, and the business may have a, a greater impact if it works this way and they want to suss out if it's true or not. And Imke, from your perspective? I think over the course of the last year, work has actually played a bigger role in people's lives. Depend regardless of their level of seniority, there is less distinction between workspace and private space. It all seeps into one and that means that you also have less interaction with your usual social circles and therefore work becomes a more important marker of identity yes and um, work is also something that helps you understand how you belong where you what you belong to and so that is i think one of the reasons why culture is being discussed so publicly recently and it increasingly plays a role in attracting and retaining talent. And I think Pauline, you said that earlier, this is something that you really focus on. And people increasingly ask, what kind of culture am I joining? What role can I play? What impact am I going to have? So this last year of, of crisis, I think has actually accelerated that process. Um, and culture as a marker of, or organizational culture as a marker of identity will become much more important for employees in the future. Yes. And Pauline, would you like to, to add to that from your perspective? I, I, as you all said, huh, um, it's the purpose. I think it's the quest for, for purpose that, that makes the, the culture so prevalent in, in, in today's world. And Issa, a final word from you? So I'll come back to the philosophical aspect of it, right? <laughs> um, you know, I think at the end of the day, every single organization is a human enterprise, first and foremost, right, regardless of what it is that you're doing. And over the years, I think a lot of organizations have forgotten that, you know, we call them human resources, we don't see them as people anymore, they're resources, how many people do we need to put on this or that? Sorry, Pauline. But, uh, you know, it's, I think what's happened through the pandemic is 
given the turmoil, the emotional turmoil that we all went through, it, it basically gave us a chance to be human again and to be able to express your feelings and emotions. And, you know, I'm having a shit day or, you know, I'm missing my family or, and so it allowed us to sort of get back in touch with our humanity. And I think that's brought culture a little bit more to the forefront. We are human after all, and it's okay to have a bad day. It's okay to have a good day, right? But sometimes we, we, we put on a mask at work to make everything seem okay. And, you know, everything's all hunky-dory, but the pandemic has given us a bit more license to be humane. Mm-hmm. And I think that's somewhere in our subconscious is one of the reasons why culture is being looked at a lot more um, critically than it had before. Well, that's a great note upon which to finish. Pauline, Nilan, Imke, Issa, thank you so much for your time today on the new PL. Very much appreciated. Thank you. Thanks for having us. Pleasure. Thank you. For those who would like to read the full Landor and Fitch, Culture is Brand, Brand is Culture, our Unicorns Achieve Success report. Please see the links and the notes that accompany this podcast. And as I mentioned in the intro, we would love to have you as part of our community. So please go to principlesandleadership.com and subscribe, and we'll send you one of the first digital copies of our book when it's published in May. Also, take a moment to rank us or review us. We genuinely appreciate it, and it all helps with our rankings and our ratings. And don't forget to also pop back on Friday for the new PL to the point where we will break down today's roundtable conversation and offer key summary points that you can take away and use in your business. So finally, I'm Paul, host of the new PL. Thank you once again for listening and have a great Wednesday.